Hello, dearest friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by First Leaf Wines and R8 Jewelry. Two things, I mean, give me a glass of wine and some gold jewelry and I am a happy gal. And I will share the love with you guys a little later on those awesome companies and products. Uh, yeah, how you guys doing? I'm fine, thanks for asking. Actually, I'm great. I am feeling so much better today. Yesterday, I tried to record my intro <laughs> for the podcast and I was like, just, I don't know, just having a weird, like, anxious day and that I was, you know, just needed to take a little breather and sometimes that's all it takes and and reframing like I feel like we you know I want to make you guys feel good if you're getting frustrated with life stuff or career stuff or just things that you want in life you know we can get stuck in a pattern of telling ourselves these these negative thoughts or that that you know not realizing that a positive outcome and a yes or even a a yes in a slightly different way than you maybe thought or you know a person that you want to date that is you know slightly different than whatever you had in your head is like the perfect ideal person maybe that's you know this person that ends up coming to you is even better but just was didn't fit into the exact mold that you had in your head and it's so easy to just think like oh I didn't get exactly what I wanted like everything's horrible it's like it's just as possible if not obviously way more possible that you're going to you know get all of the wonderful things that you want in life and it sounds really greedy to say get but achieve or you know we all deserve it and I think you just always have to think like your your success is inevitable it it may not show up the second you're like hoping for it but you just have to believe that you are going to achieve what you want to achieve and sometimes you just have to reframe it a little bit and sometimes like you know so what happened to me yesterday was I just got like a weird um you know not news but just like a weird sort of something I thought was kind of unfair in the comedy like booking world or like comedy club scene with like a like a business thing and I just felt like I felt uh I just felt like it was just, it was one of those like, oh, I'm a woman in comedy type of thing that I never get upset about that kind of thing. But I actually, instead of getting sad or getting my feelings hurt, I, I got a little angry and it was a kind of a good fire that was lit under my ass. It was like, okay, all right. So now you're just going to make this, what felt like a teeny bit harder for me, but I think it's actually going to be way better. And that's what I, I think you just have to reframe things like that. Um, so yeah. Just that's that's my little rant, and I just want you guys all to feel awesome and know that you can do anything you want. <sighs> I gotta stop starting singing. I really, really do. Um. Okay. I'm super excited to be in Seattle next week for my show, August 22nd at Laughs Comedy Club in Seattle. You can still get some tickets at RachelO'BrienComedy.com or on the Laughs Comedy website. Guys, even if you live in Portland drive up to Seattle if you live in Astoria where I'm from head on up there maybe you live in Vancouver Canada head on down let's have a party it's gonna be it's apparently like I just booked my hotel and I was I was speaking with the hotel and they were said it's just so fun and busy right now in Seattle and if you guys have any recommendations for me on what to do I'm staying there for a couple days um I've I'm from near Seattle but I don't know it that well 
And I'd love some awesome recommendations. You can DM me at Rachel, R-I-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N on Instagram. Uh, Can't wait to hear about it. Um, Or just get some recommendations. Like, obviously, I want to go to Pike Place. But, you know, any restaurant recommendations? I'm obsessed with seafood. So, and the seafood in the Pacific Northwest is amazing. So, if you know any good restaurants, you know, hit me up. Uh, All right. So they got oh, that tour date, but I have, I have a bunch of other ones coming up. I think it's going to be Philly really soon, which I've been excited about that. Uh, I think there's going to be like New York, Long Island dates coming up. Uh, so I'll keep you guys posted on all of that. And, uh, okay. So my guest today, oh, and side note too, I always want to thank you guys so much for your nice reviews and ratings and everything on Apple podcasts. Like it's, I always get so afraid to read them that someone's going to say something mean. And for the most part, you guys are so sweet and so wonderful to me. And I mean, even just the messages you guys send me on Instagram where it's like yesterday I was having kind of a weird, anxious day, like I said, and I received a couple messages from podcast listeners was just out of the blue, not even not even knowing I was, you know, having a hard day, just telling me that, you know, my podcast means a lot to them. And and just that means so much to me. Um, and I hope I can help you guys and inspire you and make you feel as wonderful as you make me feel. Okay. So now for my podcast today, we're talking murder. (laughs) I have true crime writer, Billy Jensen on the podcast today, but it's like murder in a positive way because he's helping to solve crime. So Billy Jensen is an American true crime, true crime investigative journalist and producer focused on unsolved crimes, citizen detectives, and crowd solving, which is super cool. He'll put up an ad on Facebook. He's going to explain all this and, and, uh, you know, just try to get information. Someone knows something. So he also just, uh, came out with his book, Chase Darkness with Me, How One True Crime Writer Started Solving Murders. He also helped finish I'll Be Gone in the Dark after friend Michelle McNamara's untimely passing, Uh, That's about the Golden State Killer, and he's written crime stories for Rolling Stone, Los Angeles Magazine, Boston Magazine, New York Times, and yeah, it's it's super interesting to hear about his story and how he works. He's a victim's advocate, how he works to help solve um, so many unsolved crimes, and I think you guys are really going to like him. So without further ado, give it up for Billy Jensen. Billy Jensen, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Rachel. So... Let's just start with me. Um, my true crime obsession is very new, but it's it's big. Right. Yeah, like I, I get why people are super, super into this. And I'm wondering, uh, I mean, this is your job, obviously. Um, I'm wondering, was there like an incident or a story from when you were a kid? Like something, a true crime story that kind of got you into this? Yeah. And this was actually was a question from one of my listeners, Clarissa. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Clarissa. Yes, so... When I was five years old, true crime delivered me the first words that I remember speaking. Now, mm-hmm. I, obviously, I spoke before then, but the yeah. first words that I remember speaking was was this. It's 1977 New York, and 1977 New York was a crazy time because you had disco and punk. Uh-huh. You had the blackout. You had the 77 Yankees. You had the city, you know, being, uh, you know, bankrupt, mm-hmm. and crime is rampant. And then you also had this guy going around and killing people on Lever's Lanes with a 44 caliber handgun. And okay. then he, he was called the 44 caliber killer, and then he eventually gave himself the name Son of Sam. Now, uh-huh. we called him in my house the 44 caliber killer. Mm-hmm. And there was always this sort of foreboding around that time period, you know, even though Star Wars came out too. It's just yeah. like, this is, <laughs> this is, 
you know, we're under, you know, and I lived on Long Island, but we lived maybe nine miles from, from one of the attacks. Mm -hmm. And, you so know. So as a kid, your parents were talking about oh, that? Yeah. Or was it just that you heard it on the news? No, no, no. no. I... My parents talked about it. So my dad was an ex-con, so he talked a lot about crime. Uh -huh. and okay, we're going to delve yeah, into so, that. <laughs> uh, so I remember my dad coming home from a, uh, from work, and he didn't take a shower, and he showed me the newspaper and he said, look, and it's, and it said, we have him. And it was a picture of David Berkowitz. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at the picture, scrunching up my face and saying in the vernacular of the day, he looks like a turkey. <laughs> what, <laughs> does it, what does a turkey mean? What Just was like that? a turkey, like a, like a, like, like a, a dork? turkey kind of thing. Like, you know, like, it, like a dork, like a, this was the boogeyman. This yeah. was the monster that we were chasing. And he just looks like a, They'd like a schlub. They like dorks. Yeah, exactly. For the most Except part. Except for Bundy. Yeah. I don't think he's cute. I, I, don't I think get he, so I don't, sick yeah. of people saying they're like, he was so, I'm like, he looked, he looked like a serial killer. He had yeah. crazy eyes. He was not handsome. I don't know why people say that. Yeah. It well, then again, crazy. you have Zac Efron playing him and then, I mean, you that's know. changing things. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that was like, but do you think in any other household that would have been talked about as much? Or do you think it's just because your dad? No, wasn't... it was because my dad, it was weird writing the book. I learned, you learn something about yourself and you didn't need to be Sigmund Freud. So what, what would happen is this. My dad would come home every day from painting houses, mm -hmm. go take a shower, pop a couple beers open, pop a couple Darvons, sit on his in his chair, open the newspaper, and then turn on the news. Mm -hmm. And I would be in the middle of him reading the newspaper and the television, playing with my toys, and trying to get his attention. Uh -huh. And he would constantly, if he saw an interesting story, he would say, hey, Billy, look at this. You know, this kid uh, was was caught by his friends or not even his friends like these other kids thought that he was ratting them out for stealing a motorbike parts so they shoved pebbles down pebbles down his throat and um and killed him Jesus. so it's just like you know just watch this out this was parenting in the 70s yeah this where is a, yeah. They, like you don't you don't tell your kids this stuff nowadays yeah and um just things like that mm -hmm. over and over and over again and you know writing the book you know i came to a a kind of epiphany and that Maybe I do this because I'm trying to get his attention. Unfortunately, yeah. he, he passed um, 20 years ago now. But it was, uh, you know, maybe that's why I started doing this. And listen, when I did the when I found out about the, when I found out about the D D Bergowitz thing, it's not like I was like, okay, yeah, let's go solve a bunch of crimes. Now I was five years old. I still yeah. had to go do pretend to be Luke Skywalker, and I wanted to be a, a musician and a rock star and all that stuff. But you then, have a rock star vibe. I could say that. Thank you. And, but then, um, you know, it was just the murder was constantly calling me back in. Even when I was writing, you know, writing has was been the only thing that ever, anybody's really ever said, you know, given me lauds for. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you're good at that. So I would write and then I was writing about like weird sports. I was writing about hockey fights and things. But crime was always drawing me into it. Even mm -hmm. when I got my I got a degree in religious studies and I got a master's degree in religious studies, but I was veering into into new religious movements, which is cults. And I want I was studying apocalyptic Christian cults mm -hmm. because there was crime involved. So mm -hmm. everything that I was doing was veering off into that area. And then I finally just embraced it. And I said, this is me. So I'm it sort gonna, of found you, know. you then. Yeah, it, found, it, it went back and found me. Yeah. That's crazy. So did your dad being an ex-con have anything to do with it too, though? Well, like, I think that I think he was just very much, uh, it was, he was very much interested in crime mm -hmm. and he was interested in the crime stories and the, the cops, good or bad or whatever, or mm -hmm. how they solve things. Can he was, I ask he what was, he was an ex-con for? He, um, the, one of the main things was that he was, uh, he was at a place called TSS, was a department store. 
He had just run away mm-hmm. from Cal- to California from New York when he was 15. And he'd come back. He had a fake ID on him. And he was a- arrested because he tried on a sweater and he was going to walk out of the store with it. And a guy, a woman, got his arm and said, while he was going down the escalator, and said, move your arm and I'll break it. So then he just waited until they got down to the floor. And then he threw her off. And then a guy ran up to him and said, stop. And he punched the guy out. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that guy was an undercover detective. He was, a, he was a plain clothes detective. Yeah. So, boom, they got him there. He wouldn't give them his real name. Yeah. He gave a fake name because from, from, the, from yeah. the, the idea that he used to run away with. So, but eventually, it was that. And then he was just a bad kid, a troubled kid and stuff. So, he went to a place called Coxsackie up in New York. Ex-con makes it sound so much scarier. Like, that just sounds like a, a troubled kid for a little bit. Yeah, but then he would get into it. That was, that was the one big story that come mm-hmm. up. And then he had some drug stuff. And he had some just... Um, you know, he did two years, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, was but, but constantly even two years telling isn't me like that. Long, he, no, 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 it's not. It's not crazy. Yeah, but it's just. Uh, I mean, he was constantly telling me stories about what it was like mm-hmm. and how he had, you know, the fights and the how he he lied and pretended that he was born in Brooklyn, but he grew up on Long Island and he didn't want to be with the Long Island kids because he thought they were wimps, mm-hmm. and they were. And uh, so he he hung out. He was with the Brooklyn kids because yeah. that was what it was. It was where Coxsackie is where they sent like all of the bad, like 16, 17, 18 year olds. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to go to like they gave his mother a an offer. He could do one year in the adult prison or two years in like the juvie. Mm-hmm. And then he went to we went to the two years in the juvie. Yeah. And then he did some more time as well. But like I would go to the main hospital where we lived was connected to the jail Nassau County Jail Mm -hmm. and I would go because I was breaking my head all the time and doing stuff as Mm -hmm. a kid I remember him taking me to go get stitched up again and one guy like recognized him and the guy was in handcuffs that's crazy he was like hey yeah the guy's name was he's like yeah that guy's name is nickname is strawberry I remember him from the inside yes all of this has to play into how you got into it too because because it seems like you would have to be comfortable around that kind of thing too and not afraid of it and like Having your it was a way it was a way of life kind of yeah it wasn't like he would you know he had turned his life around and he became a family man and he Mm -hmm. like started his own business and he was very successful but uh those were the stories that he told yeah you know because that he didn't have college Mm -hmm. you know that was his college so I'll tell a story about college yeah and it'll be boring it'll just be me drinking and then you know yeah I feel like your dad's stories are my dad's stories are gonna be way better (laughs) than that yeah that's amazing so what how did it start in terms of like, so it sort of found you, you started, you know, just, you were already writing about sports, but then you became, mm-hmm. did you get an offer from a, like a, here's what happened. So I was writing about like weird kind of sports for the village voice on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, they added the Long Island edition and the New York times contacted my editor and said, we need somebody for the weekends to be a stringer, which is somebody that goes out and does the legwork. And he suggested myself and I was 25 at the time. And he sent me out there. I'd never gone to J school or anything. I was just writing these stories. And he just sent, sent me out there with just accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. So I did the, like a bunch of different stories. A, monk, a monkey was stolen from a pet store and a tornado on the North Fork and all these things. And then I caught my first murder case. And it was a case of a family had moved into a house, very nice house, split level. And uh, they were cleaning it out. And they found a barrel underneath the crawl space. And inside oh the barrel God. was a body. Holy so shit. So they... Um, Wait, so how, but how do you come across that story? Well, then? here's like, the so thing. So the New York Times uh, sent me out there to do that. 
Okay. Yeah, so, so they said, so they called me up on Saturday morning and I'm half asleep and they're just like, hey, we got a story for you. There was a family moved into this house. They found a barrel and there was a body in the barrel. Go see what you can find out. That was always what it was. Holy Go see shit. what you can find out. So you drive there. Nobody wants to talk to you. Yeah. So you do the neighbors. You talk to the neighbors. The family doesn't want to talk, obviously. They just bought this house and now it's a freaking nightmare. Mm -hmm. So uh, I get the phone numbers for the previous tenants, the previous owners. I call up the the last previous owner. They weren't there. I called the one, two from them uh, who had sold them the house. The cops were there. Mm -hmm. Then I called up the original owner and I said, hello, is this Mr. Howard Elkins? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, my name is Bill Jensen. I'm from New York Times, which is always a thrill to do because mm -hmm. whenever you would say Village Voice, they would just say whatever. But I'd say New York Times and I'd say, <laughs> um, yeah, somebody bought your house, you know, the house that you owned in, in Syosset. And uh, there was a body in a crawl space uh, in a barrel. And he goes, really? I go, yeah. I was like, you have any idea why that would be there? He's like, no. And I was like, did you ever go in the crawl space? He said, why would I? Oh, my God. So. So it's basically like you're calling th this person who you technically are kind of almost asking them, like, hey, did you maybe kill someone? Like, do you know who? Yeah. But I was so young that I didn't realize that when you're talking to people that you suspect, as human beings, we don't like uncomfortable silences. Mm -hmm. We always are trying to fill in those gaps. But mm -hmm. when you are talking to somebody like that, you don't fill in those gaps. You leave the silence out there, and hopefully the truth, he'll, he'll pin the truth to that silence just mm -hmm. because he wants to keep talking. I didn't do that. So I was like, I, I, I was like trying to keep, keep the conversation yeah. going. And um, I said, okay, um, you know, say goodbye to him. Right before I filed the story, the cops called and said the woman was actually full-term pregnant. Um, that, so, so it was a woman that was It was found. a woman in the barrel. And uh, a week later, the guy I had talked to, Howard Elkins, uh, took a shotgun and blew his head off. So it was most likely him. It was him, yeah. Okay. He had gotten his secretary pregnant and, and was having an affair with her. Holy and shit. then killed her, put her in the barrel. And I think it probably the barrel was... He probably was going to bring it out onto like the water but then the barrel was just too heavy it had a bunch of other stuff but in he, it so well. he was two tenants prior or two people yeah so, so he had like done it a while ago been there a, a long, long time. time yep and he had lived over that that body and celebrated birthdays and everything for two or three years like the telltale heart that apparently didn't affect him that much what kind of sociopath does yeah. that That's so that insane. was so that was my first ever murder and i i talked to the murderer that day and nothing else since then has been that easy Oh, really? Yeah. Um, then it went from that to 15 years of writing stories with no endings. You know, I decided early on that I didn't want to write stories that have already been solved. I wanted to do unsolved stuff. So I was just writing stories that were unsolved, trying to solve them and not being able to. And then I just got fed up and I was like, I'm going to really, really concentrate on unsolving these cases. And then I started solving them. Were you one of the first people that sort of started like the crowd solving? That's what you call it. Where yeah, you know what there were uh, there were people that had done it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really done it to uh, for success in a murder. They've done it a lot for. It's been a lot of success with matching unidentified remains with missing persons, mm -hmm. because um, there's really good citizen detectives that have done that. Uh, for everybody from Caledonia Doe to Buckskin Doe, there's a lot of them out there because there's about forty to sixty thousand unidentified remains sitting in storage lockers or That's in uh, you know police storage lockers. I mean, yeah. or um, or paupers' graves or whatever. 
there's eighty to 10, eighty to one hundred thousand missing persons, mm-hmm. you, know, you got to match those up as as best as you can. So there's good there, there's people that are doing that. Mm-hmm. But as far as um, the murder stuff goes, and there's been assaults that have been worked with crowd solving, mm-hmm. but. This was a little different than crowd solving. This was really just me using social media to try and reach out to people that might know who these people are. Mm -hmm. So right around, you know, I had come out to Los Angeles as newspapers were dying. And I said, all right, I want to try to do TV. I would do pilots and then they wouldn't get picked up because they either wouldn't have a solve at the end of it and Mm -hmm. they won't be wrapped up in a bow or anything. And um, I think that's just everyone's story, no matter what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that's showbiz, baby. Yep. But uh, so then I went to, I went to, uh, you know, I was started a, a podcast actually way back in the day in like 2012, mm-hmm. and I started it with a woman named Michelle McNamara, and she had just written an article about the Golden State Killer and her search for the Golden State Killer. So she was a true crime writer. She's also the, uh, she was the wife of Patton Oswalt, the comedian. Mm-hmm. And so she was, um, she was a great partner. She, we had to stop the podcast because she had to do the, the book. Mm-hmm. She got a book deal. But we would meet every month for drinks or, or lunch or whatever and talk about her case. And I would talk about my cases and, you know, it was a relationship just based entirely on crime and mm-hmm. crime storytelling. She passed away in 2016, like while she was in the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. And I told her husband, I said, listen, I'll do anything I can to finish the book. I don't want any money. I'll just do it. So myself and her researcher, Paul Haynes and Patton, we've we finished the book for her. But when and that, then that book's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. When the, uh, and mo- when I say finished, we, we like, it was me just pushing it towards the finish line. Uh-huh. I mean, so much of it was written already and, and um, you know, it was just putting it in order. And that was before the order. Golden State Killer was caught, right? That was before the Golden State Killer was caught. But and were you guys involved at all in the investigate, like kind well, of finding him? No, well, here, here's what happened. So when, when the, when she dies, I got, it got really dark because the first thing I thought was like, did this guy win, you know? Yeah. In the sense where I used to hate the person. I used to say, people used to always ask me, why do I do this? Mm-hmm. I would say, because I hate the guy that got away with it. Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking, like, I hate him for not only the victim's families and the victim, but also these other people that are devoting their entire lives to try and find this guy, and then you're selfishly keeping this secret. And you hear that so much. Like, I was listening to uh, your guys' episode um, about the manson murders and and then like trying to like figure Mm -hmm. out if some other unsolved and the detective sounds so like i i didn't finish it so i don't know if whatever ends up happening but he sounds so down on himself of like like yeah not being and you hear that so much on podcasts where you get you talk to the detective it's like they devote their entire life to this kind of thing and it's like sometimes 30 40 years later and it's like they yeah it affects people like that um intensely like yeah. it's like they they just sound so like well they, we did everything we could but then this couldn't happen and we the they the evidence wasn't picked up properly or this was and it's you can just hear it in his voice yeah no definitely and so you know when i was a product of that too you know mm-hmm. having done this and um uh so you know we worked on finishing the book I started working with paul holes mm-hmm. and talking with him about the book and everything and filling in the gaps and um, we actually, this is an interesting thing that, that I go into the book. So when I met Paul at Michelle's memorial, 
uh, right over here at Largo, just down mm-hmm. the street. And he asked me, you know, we started talking. This is when I met him in person. And he was asking me what I was working on. I said I was working on the Allenstown 4 case, which is these four bodies that were found in barrels, in uh, two in 1985, two in 2000, in Bear Brook State Park in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woman and three children all identified. I heard that um, podcast too, yeah. Yeah, the, the um, blunt force trauma to the back of the head. Nobody knows who killed them. And we were talking about DNA and, and familial DNA. And um, it turns out that from that conversation, uh, he had learned about the Allenstown 4 case. They eventually solved the Allenstown 4 case, at least a bit of it, the first part of it, Mm -hmm. with familial DNA. He gets on the phone with the people that I was working with on Allenstown 4, says, how'd you guys do this? He uses that and those people to solve the Golden State Killer case. So... Whenever somebody asks, did the book help? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the, it wasn't her book. It wasn't the book. It was her death. Mm-hmm. Because not only that chance meeting, it's not so much chance meeting, but it was it was us, you know, talking about that case. But it was also the fact that nobody had heard of this guy, the Golden State Killer. He had two names. He had you know East Area Rapist, original Night mm-hmm. Stalker. Nobody knew those knew who that was. When she dies, it's an international story. And people are introduced to this guy, introduced to this woman who is a housewife and true crime writer who's trying to solve it. And then you can't tell me that pressure wasn't put on or phone calls weren't made at some point saying, hey, this is in our backyard in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Two months after she dies, there's a new reward that's put out. There's a, there's a press conference that says we're going to um, work, uh, have a new partnership with the FBI towards this. Mm-hmm. The book, you know, we're working on the book. The book comes out. And then two months after the book comes out, he's actually caught by Paul. That's insane. It d- definitely has to do with it. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, listen, Paul, the, it wasn't the book coming out. It was. Her yeah. Death, you know, because Paul was already on the guy by January. Uh-huh. We had already filed the book already. We were just waiting for it to come out. That's how long books take to come out. Yeah. Boy, do I get so excited when my shipment of First Leaf wine arrives. It's so fun to try new wines and discover, you know, wines you're guaranteed to love this summer. The First Leaf Wine Club uses your feedback to curate wine selections to your unique tastes. Whether you're entertaining company or enjoying a warm summer night at home, First Leaf makes buying great wine easy. By rating the wines you receive, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes, and they only send wines you'll love. So you first start by taking this really fun quiz. It's a First Leaf wine quiz to assess your exact wine drinking preferences, from sweetness to wine styles to even how adventurous you are in trying new wines. They learn about what you like. It gets really specific, and it's really fun to do. You rate your sweetness level. You rate, like... You know, are you into butter? Obviously, that's yes. And it, they determine what kind of wines you're going to be into. Firstly, then creates an introductory six-pack of wine for me, all for just $29.95. Seriously, an introductory six-pack of wine for $29.95. And these wines normally go for at least $20 a piece. That's amazing. When my bottles arrived, I tasted and rated them online. Firstly, took my ratings and selected new wines based on my taste for my next shipment. My curated shipments just keep getting better. And I feel like I'm trying new types of wines I didn't even know about or liked or didn't know I liked. And I'm so excited. It's like a fun adventure. So try First Leaf Wine Club today. We're buying great wine is simple. And you sign up for my link. You're going to get an exclusive intro offer. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 
plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash be here. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash be here. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash be here. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. It's so insane to me that he was married with two kids, right? Adult children? Yeah. Well, three, you can, three. Three. Yeah. You can be that you someone could be living with a freaking ser- serial killer and not know. Like, yeah. does that not ho- that horrifies me? Mm-hmm. Like, I do you feel like you have um, like a good read on people because you do you do this for a living and you've obviously talked to, you know, more murderers than anyone mm-hmm. else probably or a higher. Con- do you feel like you have a good read on like mm, this person's creepy or this person? No, I don't Are actually, you, to be really? honest with you. I think people can really, um, you know, when, when I looked at, say, Chris Watts, who, who murdered his family, uh, is a family annihilator. Remember the guy in Denver? Oh, when you're yeah, watching yeah. And then him. He burned down the house. Is it that no, no, one? no, 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 no. He just he killed his family and then he did a uh, he did an interview and you saw you oh. watched him and he said, yeah, that guy's guilty. You didn't have to be a true crime guy to see that the yeah. way his body mannerisms, his body language, language, the way he was sort of like holding his chest. Um, with his arms like tightly around himself, just trying to like yeah. keep it together. You could tell he was guilty, but no, I think honestly, I think uh, women uh, who who are in the who have dated and dated, especially in this town, mm-hmm. you know, so much is particularly a serial killer. So much is wrapped around narcissism, mm-hmm. and when we're in this town in in Los Angeles, and there's yeah. so many narcissists and so much of that behavior, they don't all not every actor <laughs> is is turning into a serial killer but yeah. i think th- there those traits are there in the way that those people act and i think i think women are a much better judge of that than than men are yeah um, and even even the, even, dated half even with me yeah it's, it's yeah it's women and john douglas who's like you know the mind hunter who's yeah. been across the, the the table from these guys but uh um yeah we're, you you see those those signals of what these guys are doing and and sharing your your stories with each other and mm-hmm. things and it's like um do you think you we have tell. a higher concentration of them because it's la oh, and yeah, narcissists? Absolutely. really yeah of narcissists well no of like but narcissists turned turned killers. serial killer because you think killers? of like i'm from the pacific northwest i feel like that's like well this, you're yes well that's it, that's the, the serial killer you know well hub. It, it really is it is and it, it to a certain extent because it really is about Everyone went west. So mm-hmm. when the 60s happened, you had a lot of people starting to go west. And, and people, especially young people, were leaving for the first time ever, really, in a massive amount. Everybody went as far as they could go, and they ended up on the coast. So you had a lot of people around here, Los Angeles, San Francisco, so Portland, sense. and Seattle. There's no place else for them to go. Mm-hmm. So that is why, you know, as stuff start, you know, as the summer of love was gone and, you know, let's say it ended with Manson, you know, from 69 to 85, which is considered kind of the golden age of serial killers. Mm -hmm. You had a lot of people that were not being, uh, that didn't have a social structure that people were watching out for them, i.e. the victims. Mm -hmm. And then you had the, these killers that were out there that either came out there because it was, you know, they were, they were running away from something Mm -hmm. or they just came out there looking for a good time. And then things just went South Mm -hmm. and, that switch took over yeah but yeah you know you've got up there um you had a lot of them particularly Mm -hmm. you know with bundy down here you had a lot of them as well though you know we had richard ramirez yeah 
and uh, obviously the Manson family and everything. So it's it's just a matter of every you know people ran west and this is where they stopped because there was just ocean then. Yeah, that's so scary. I have a theory that like the serial killer age might be dead now because it's too hard to get away with it. I feel like you don't. And maybe I'm just naive, but I feel like you don't hear about huge prolific serial killers anymore because because of social media and just like even you just can't get away with things like that anymore. Do you think that that's kind of over or do you think that there's still like a no. ton of monsters among among us? There's still a lot of monsters among us. The problem is, is that the the it's connecting the dots and mm-hmm. it's because of who they are preying on mm-hmm. and they're preying on sex workers they're preying on opioid addicts and a lot of it is happening in the middle of the country the, the days of but why 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 so the day because that's where it's worse is uh-huh. the opioid epidemic so what we've done is we got everybody hooked on pills mm-hmm. we took the pills away now they're heroin addicts now they've they've turned to heroin now they've got a guy in their life saying you know baby i'll take care of you don't worry about it um, either they both become junkies or, or the guy is a, and I shouldn't even say the word junkie, uh, you know, they both become addicted to this mm-hmm. and their entire lives are going to be based on this. Or it's a guy that's preying on her and then is going to turn her out into the street because he's not man enough to make money on his own. He's having her make the money. Now she is getting into cars of people who are just driving around. Some of them are just looking for sex. Some of them are looking for something more, uh, meaning they might be killing them. Mm -hmm. And this is happening over and over and over again. There are definitely serial killers active right now in Chicago and Cleveland and and Columbus. Oh, really? And major uh, stories that like people know. No, they're not. No, but that's the thing. Nobody's talking about them because the media does not like to talk about sex workers Mm -hmm. or or opioid addicts who were killed. They just don't do it. That's terrible. They're And And it's it's our fault probably that they got addicted. And, 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 uh, so you, you have, uh, the idea that there's going to be somebody killing co-eds now and getting away with it the way Ted Bundy did, no, I think he would be caught pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that, that Ted Bundy escaped, killed again in Florida, and then they didn't even recognize mm-hmm. him because he grew, he changed the part in his hair and he grew a Fu Manchu mustache was yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but that couldn't happen now because no, that's not so going to happen. Yeah. Every- I mean, Th- that's yeah. not going to happen now. We've got the DNA. We've got a, a lot of things. But it's listen, we're morphing into all right. Well, where does the where does the serial killer go? You know, because we, it's we, never going to go away. I assume. No, but but it's never going to go away in that respect. But we've got, you know, while we had all of these serial killers and a lot more serial killers than we have now. Back in the seventies, we have a lot more mass shooters now than we had then. True. And did those same are those same people morphing into that? I'm not sure. You know, I'm not a. That's a good point. Maybe I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. I don't. Or a psychiatrist. I don't know whether that's the same. The same aspects of their personality is going from one to one Mm -hmm. but um there there might be a little bit there Mm -hmm. yeah those what the the areas you mentioned you said cleveland chicago and what was the other one uh cleveland chicago and columbus ohio and those are just the ones that i've really i'm concentrating on right now and so well tell me about the story so it's basically like there's a number of sex workers or opioid addicts that are being Mm -hmm. killed and you're connecting the dots that you think it might be one person i don't think it's one person i think it might be you know it's a bunch of different people Uh but they're all you know the definition of a serial killer is now two murders with a cooling off period in between so there's people that are doing it and they've Uh gotten the uh, the height of it and um 
they're they're chasing that last thrill and the mm-hmm. big question is how long they have to go in between to get that thrill can you tell me more about the those cases and like what so when you do your crowd solving like what like if you're going to put information out there like right now like what do you say mm-hmm. that, how can people help with that well with with those cases um there were there was two cases that i did um danielle and Lindsay in columbus they were picked up in columbus their bodies were dumped in uh, fairfield county and one of them was her remains you couldn't figure out what the cause of death was one of them she was found within a day and she had blunt force trauma and her, and her throat was cut so we knew that she was definitely murdered mm-hmm. and that was Lindsay. Uh, you know, putting that out and having gone there and gone to the crime scenes, particularly where Danielle was found, I saw it and I said, there's no way that somebody from Columbus that didn't know the area would have found where, where he hid that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was behind this crop. It was just in a, in a row that you wouldn't see, but the person probably was doing it at night. Somebody knew that. So somebody was from that area. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I put out a... And I, and I continued to re-up it. I started a Facebook page and I put up uh, targeted advertising, just targeting people from that area. Mm-hmm. And not even necessarily, because I don't have, it's a harder one for me because the ones that I have solved, usually they have sketches or they have video. Uh-huh. But this is different. This is more like, who do you think might have done something like this? You know what I mean? Who okay. do you su- suspect that we could toss out there that is from Fairfield County or is it a boyfriend that once told you something mm-hmm. or something along those lines, you know? And, um, you know, when people break up, you know, a lot of people do tell people stuff. And when mm-hmm. they break up, you got to get that stuff off your chest. Mm-hmm. There's people out there probably listening to this podcast who know a secret about an ex-lover uh, that they might have told them at one point, And they're mm-hmm. holding that. They, maybe they've, they've tried to push it out of their minds. But people do talk about this. Yeah. And then once they're pissed off at the person, they're like, well, might as well tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is good. Do you think, though, sometimes people because there's a lot of, uh, you know, like false uh, confessions and false like when someone's just trying to get someone in trouble? How do you discern, though? Well, you got to build a case. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got to you've got to take. Okay, this person had told me once that they killed somebody. Maybe he's the person. So you got to follow, you know, if you have DNA, you've got to follow that person around and then Mm -hmm. grab his DNA. You've got to and match it up to whatever the DNA was found at the crime scene. You have to do your due diligence. Mm -hmm. And that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of how many people that we've we've got investigating these crimes and how citizen detectives can help. Mm -hmm. With the Golden State Killer, which is found through familial DNA, we've solved 50 now cases of um, murders through Mm -hmm. familial DNA where you found a third cousin in a database and then worked it down. We, we, what we really need to do now is multiply that because mm-hmm. there's a lot and not only for murders, but also for the rape kits. We say, mm-hmm. all right, we're ending the backlog. We've ended the backlog. Some states are like, oh, we've cleared all of them. What are you doing with that now? Mm-hmm. Have you put it into CODIS? Have you put it into GEDmatch? Have you put it into any of these places in order to try and then gone to and guess what? There's a lot of amateur genealogists that you can work with that will help you narrow it down. If you find a third cousin. Give them, give them that information, make them get sworn, do whatever. Mm-hmm. There are people willing to help that have the skill sets, and we need to start using them because it's not like we're hiring a ton more detectives. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain how that works with the DNA thing? So so let's say I took like a 23andMe test, and you know now they have my DNA. How do they match like a rent? I don't, under, mm-hmm. I don't quite understand how it works. All right, so if you spit in the tube and send it to 23andMe, uh-huh. they've got it in there. They're going to give you your information about health. 
Yeah. And also about who you might be connected with. Now, you, law enforcement can't access that. Uh-huh. What you need to do if you want to be part of the solution and what the listeners need to do, okay. take that, that, that data that they send you and then upload it into GEDmatch. Okay. I want to write that down. Yes. So that is a um, – and there's a couple other databases that are out there as well. Mm-hmm. GEDmatch is what we, what we use to do the Golden State Killer case, but there are other ones as well. So you, have, you upload it into GEDmatch, then law enforcement can, if they find something at a crime scene – they can upload it and then see all those persons, third cousins, mm-hmm. second cousins, or first cousins, brothers would be would be better. And um, from so there, they can they can you know if it's a third cousin, then they just have to keep narrowing it down, narrowing it down. So the the Golden State Killers, whatever distant relative, had uploaded it to GEDmatch. There was yeah. that's okay. Got yeah, it. they had uploaded it to GEDmatch just because they were just like you know oh I'm, I'm interested to see who I'm related to and this is an open source thing and let's. You know, I'm interested in genealogy. So Jed Match is not just a, a crime thing. It's like, it's just... No, a, no, no. Oh, it's a, oh yeah. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gorgeous, dainty gold jewelry is kind of my favorite thing. And that is why I was so excited to discover All Rate Jewelry. All Rate's gold feels substantial and the diamonds sparkle and shine. Such high quality and they're so beautiful. I get so many compliments on my little gold ear cup. Super, super cute. And it's a low price for high quality because R8 sells direct to you without the middleman markup. They can offer the same quality as traditional Fifth Avenue brands at a fraction of the cost. And R8 is ethically made in New York City, empowering women with the best jewelry options without sacrificing style. I mean, seriously, it's such unique, gorgeous pieces. And for every piece sold, a child in need receives a book to further their education. That's so great. And it's by women for women. All Rate was started by two friends during a brunch when one got a green finger from an overpriced ring, sparking a conversation about how they were fed up with the, tradi- the traditional jewelry market. All Rate was founded on the desire to shake up the jewelry market by offering modern women beautiful designs, amazing quality at affordable prices, and ethically sourced pieces they can wear every day. I'm obsessed obsessed with all rate jewelry it's gorgeous gorgeous stuff you're gonna get so many compliments and you're just gonna feel i don't know it's like a little treat for yourself it's you're gonna feel sexy and summery and i have an offer for my listeners for 15 percent off your first all rate purchase go to allratenewyork.com slash be here and use promo code be here that's a u r a t e n e w y o r k.com slash be here and use promo code be here allrightnewyork.com slash be here for 15% off your first R8 purchase. What's the most difficult case you've ever worked on? Uh, and this two-part question. Uh, that it's like emotionally draining and whatever, but also another, like another way to ask it would be like where it's, it just almost seems unsolvable. Well, the so after Michelle died and I... I, I couldn't sleep one night about a week later, two weeks later, and I was looking at YouTube videos of unsolved murders. That's just what I do when I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, because that'll, that'll put you to sleep right away. Yeah. Scare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I see this video of this guy getting attacked in the street in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it's really good video, and the guy it's pretty clear, and they still haven't caught the guy, and it's been four months. And I start thinking about it going, why can't they catch this guy? And then I realized that it was – because nobody watches TV anymore, nobody reads the newspaper anymore, and but where are they? They're on Facebook. So I took that guy's video. I contacted the family. I took. Uh-huh. I contacted the police department. I said, "Listen, I'm going to try this." They said, "Okay." 
And I started a Facebook page. I did a targeted advertising. I did a Twitter uh, thing. And um, somebody contacted me. And this is this is in the book. And it's it was a lot wilder of a story. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. But somebody contacted me and sent me a video of right after the attack. So what he did was he chased down this guy, punched him, knocked him out. This is a big dude. Knocked him out, and then he kind of yelled at everybody to get away from him. Mm-hmm. It was on a busy street. It was at 4 o'clock in the morning in Chicago. And then, unfortunately, a cab rolled over his body and then killed him. So Killed the killer? No, killed the victim. The who victim? Was, who was on the ground, yeah. Knocked, okay. He was knocked out, and he was, uh, he was in the street, yeah. So, and then this guy was in the wind. I fa- so, once they s- this guy sent me this video, and it's a picture of the victim on the ground right before he gets run over... And then it swings back up, the camera pans up, and then the, the, the puncher, as I call him, is staring right at me and walking towards me. So now I had a front-facing picture of him. So then uh-huh. I just took it. Cook County does mugshots, and they post them online. I was able to ma- find his mugshot after you know, a day or two because mm-hmm. he had a very distinctive widow's peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from there, I found his name. I found his Facebook page, gave it to the police. Police do nothing. I find out where he's hiding out. Police mm-hmm. do nothing. And then eventually. Why, why you know, do they just not? Why? I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. Th- th- that was in some of the cases that I talk about in the book. I really have a great relationship and it's like a partnership with the police. And mm-hmm. some of them, they just don't they just don't want to deal with me. Chicago is one of those places where they just don't, even though I was acting as a victim's advocate, they'd never talk to media. They're just very closed mouth. So mm-hmm. eventually I had to go to on LinkedIn and I went on LinkedIn and like begged a former chief, found a former chief of detectives from Chicago. And mm-hmm. I was like, listen, I know where he is. He's in, he's in Minnesota. He's, he's, he's saying he's in New York on his Facebook page, but I just saw that he had posted a picture and behind him was uh, a truck and the truck had a logo of a, uh, Minneapolis works truck and I was like he's definitely staying with his brother this is happening and eventually the marshals got him it's fascinating to me how dumb people can be like if you're gonna be a crip like yeah like, yeah no oh he, I I just I just changed my Facebook to say I'm in New York but I'm gonna now post something on yeah, social media that's very clear that I'm po- not yeah he not only did that he was, he said he was in a relationship with a woman and then I looked up the woman and she was in Minnesota it's just like dude and your brother's in so Minnesota dumb. you're in Minnesota yeah so <laughs> it's ridiculous so um so you know, with that, I started getting, okay, if I have a piece of video, mm-hmm. I can do this. And I found this piece of video of this guy who is walking with this woman in Owlshead Park, right outside of Owlshead Park, Brooklyn, Bay Ridge. And she's found the next day bludgeoned to death on a skate park half pipe. She's a mother of two. I had such clear videos, like, I'm going to get this guy in a week. And I continued to keep upping it, upping it. He had such a clear, defined jawline. You could see so much of his face. And I just couldn't get an ID. I had went down so many false leads. And then I got the most heartbreaking comment, um, you know, probably about a month and a half into it. It just said four words. It just said, that was my mom. And her son, one of her sons had saw it. And I tell the families that this is happening and people are going to see it. But Mm -hmm. um you know, I just saw that and it's like, I'm going to be looking for this guy forever now. So, uh, I just got a good tip today on it that potentially might pan out. So, you know, that's one of the ones that I, when I think of what's the ones that, um, are so hard, you know, there's another case that is not in the book about this, this DJ who was murdered on in in Miami Mm -hmm. and the police screwed it up so bad because it was New Year's Eve, a DJ, it was three years after New Year's Eve. There's a DJ lying dead, you know, he's all bloated and everything from the decomp. 
and they see him and they say, oh, it's got to be an OD, a DJ in Miami. They take him out. They don't do, they say clean up the crime scene. They don't do anything with the crime scene. They clean it all up and then they find a bullet in him. And uh, that's one that's going to be, I, I can't see that how they're going to solve that without somebody confessing or getting close to somebody who might, you know, and then put a wire on somebody, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, do you ever run into yeah. a situation where, you know, you have to contact the families and they're, does anyone ever get mad at you? Like, we don't want to talk about this. Like what? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah How do you, you know, deal with that? Well, one time I was doing this case in El Monte and, uh, this guy jumped over, there was video of him jumping over a, the counter at the Jack in the box in El Monte. And then you see him pull out a gun. He's wearing a Halloween mask. So when I write these campaigns, I write them like, a marketer almost because I'm trying to catch people's attention on mm-hmm. Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So and that's not, how you have to do it. You have to. So they're watching Trump, you know, memes and cat videos and yeah. stuff. So I'm looking at them and I'm, and I'm writing it up. I talk to the family and I write it in the, in almost not quite in his words, but I called it El Monte Jack in the box killer. So that's the name of the page. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, do you recognize this guy? Blah, blah, blah you know, gave all the information. I know he's wearing a mask, but let's try to see if we can figure out who he is. And somebody wrote to me and says, like, who is this? And I was like, well, I'm a victim's advocate. I've worked with the family. It's just like, and he just starts yelling at me. He's like, this is not a cold case. You're going to fuck this up. And I was like, listen, just, I've done this before. This is how I got the guy in Chicago. And, you know, it sounds like you're the killer. I'm like, no, it's just like, (laughs) If you put yeah. justice before it or something like that, a lot of people glaze over it. If yeah. you put El Monte Jack the Mars Killer, just go, what, what is yeah. that? It's catchy. So, yeah. yeah. So then um, I became friends with him. And then when we did catch him, he was just like, man, I'm so sorry. You're the real deal. And um, he's he's a really cool guy. And I just like, I'm Facebook friends with these guys now. Yeah. I'm Facebook friends with so many victims, family, and friends. And mm-hmm. um, he's like, I'm sorry I yelled at you. And, do you uh, contact uh, the yeah. family before you do this? Like, you, Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to, like, is that just protocol or is that just... It's my right. protocol, yeah. you know. It's just because a they're going to be seeing it, mm-hmm. you know. They're going to be seeing the the ad uh, mm-hmm. or the campaign or whatever it is, and they're going to be wondering what's going on. So yeah. I usually it's either th- I'm doing that or they're contacting me. It's yeah. a ha- it's half and half. Do a lot of just random people contact you? Oh, like, can the, you help me? All the time. Yeah, I just wish. I, I mean, that's part of the reason why I wrote the book too, because I'd like to be able to teach not only regular people but also uh, the police. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've had I've had police come to me and say like yeah I'm, I'm a chief of detectives in this town and I'm like getting the book for all my all my detectives because you know we could probably solve some stuff with this and mm-hmm. it's like yes thank god that's exactly what I want to hear have you ever uh, feared for your life I'm thinking of uh did you listen to to live and die in LA mm-hmm. and it's a it's a true crime investigator right that's kind of and he's not a Neil Strauss isn't a true crime investigator. A writer, he's just, what is he's he? He's a writer. Right, yeah. okay. He's a good writer. Yeah. But I remember like they they don't really go into it too much, but there's a, a certain like part of it where like I guess he gets threatened and like his family gets threatened. Does anything ever like that happen to you? Yeah, I mean you get threats here and there. Um mm-hmm. it's not if you think about it too much, you can go crazy, you know. Yeah. And one cop once told it's me It's kind of terrifying though. Yeah, one cop once told me that you know, don't be afraid of the one, the bullet with your name on it. Be afraid of the thousand bullets without your name on it. And um, there's a lot of, like, as we just saw with all these mass shootings, there's a lot of other things that can kill you more than 
more than that. So uh, have you ever received like actual? Oh yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, what's funny is that I, it's not even funny, but I've received more threats for like sports writing than I have for this. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Try writing a story wow. about, the, 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 about, <laughs> about the Islanders and the Rangers rivalry, and you will, uh, or the, or the Yankees and Mets rivalry, and you'll get a lot of threats. So, but um, <laughs> yeah, really you know, it's um, it's you know, it's definitely a concern, and it's something that that I take to heart and I take precautions with. How do you deal with, uh, you know, how does your mental health affected by hearing horrible things all day long, every day? Do you become numb to it or is it just, I don't become numb to it. I, I become, it, it affects me every time I hear one of those stories. Um, my, my thing is, okay, well, what can I do? And then Mm -hmm. if I can't do anything, that's, that's when it hurts. When Mm -hmm. I, when I, I can't direct them to somebody or I can't do it myself mm-hmm. uh, because I try to help everybody that I can. So it's usually it's that when I'm just like, I, I got to get them to somebody. So then mm-hmm. I find myself, okay, can I, can I find somebody in this location that might be able to help this person? Because this is a case that I wouldn't be able to do, you know, from afar. Mm-hmm. And as far as my mental health goes, I just try to do fun things that are just goofy. Like I just got back from Disneyland mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I like breakfast cereal and happy meals and <laughs> I go to the Harry Potter Hogwarts and, you know, I, I watch, you know, stupid 1970s Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, do kind of things that are um, this, that, that left side of my brain versus the, the right side or vice versa. I don't know which it is, but, <laughs> uh, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be the next Walt Disney, you mm-hmm. know, Walt Disney meets Joseph Campbell and things didn't work out that way. So. You know, if you look in my office, half of it and the bookshelves and I've got bookshelves all the way around the room. Half of the bookshelves are are crime Mm -hmm. and the other half are like Disney, Star Wars. Maybe this is your TV show. Maybe you meld the two things. Yeah, big meld the two things together. Maybe. I don't know. No, I've 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 talked to to Star Wars before and I've said this people at Lucasfilm and I was just like, you know what? How come there's never been a murder mystery in Star Wars? And can I write that one? So it's like (laughs) do it. Yeah, I believe in you. Yep. Um, so we're going to wrap up in a second, but tell me a little bit more about your book and, uh, and how, you know, regular people like us, my listeners can help out with all this kind of thing. So the book is called chase darkness with me and it's out on August 13th. Are we out before then? Uh, yeah, you, you'll be out, uh, not this week, but next week. Oh, perfect. Well, I guess next week is around that time, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it comes out and I'm on a book tour now, so I'm hitting up, uh, until from now until the end of August. When's your LA one? I want to come to that. Or did it August, already happen? August thirteenth. Okay, that that's what it's, is it at Book Soup? It's at Skylight. Oh, Skylight. Okay, okay. That yeah, one's in like so Los Feliz or something. Uh huh. So that's yeah. going to be with with Karen Kilgariff, and Karen wrote the forward for the, the book. I'm going to try to come to it. Yeah, oh. that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. And um, then I go to uh, Denver, Portland, Dallas, Houston. I go to Tulsa, which is cool because I'm going to be with, you know, they, they ask you like, who do you want to be in conversation with? And when I heard Tulsa, I was like. I can go to the outsider's house mm-hmm. because that's what, you know, the outsider's movie. Yeah. They have the house there and they're redoing it. And the guy that's redoing it to look exactly like it did back then yeah. is Danny boy from house of pain. The, oh, the rap group. So yeah. I was like, so I called him and I was like, do you want to do an in conversation? I was like, yeah, sure. So we're going to be able to go hang out at the outsider's house. Which Holy I'm really shit. That's about. really cool. Yeah. So I'm just trying to find like interesting people to do that with. And then Chicago, New York, Atlanta, and um, a bunch of different podcasters like um, Amanda from wine and crime, mm-hmm. pain, Lindsay, um, you know, just trying to find like really interesting people that we can, you know, have a little bit of fun with because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the, the book, 
the book is out there and the book tells you how to do this if you want to do it but okay. it's also very much a narrative of a of of a guy that that really has lived this sort of true crime life and then figured out okay let's try and solve these things as opposed to just telling these stories so mm-hmm. um that's the that's the log line for it i love that i love that you're actually doing something about it not just yeah yeah you know and i still i'll still turn on shows that have been solved and things and see how they're telling them but it's just it's it's never been in my nature to just want to do that i always want to just try and add something to the conversation as opposed to um you know be a be be on the sidelines sidelines looking in and i really think that this book and the things that are happening with familial genealogy and the things that are happening on reddit and and web sleuths and all these other places is bringing in a new era of of true crime solving not just Mm -hmm. true crime storytelling because the idea of a professional detective has only been around for a couple hundred years before that if somebody got murdered in your town they went and got the lawyer or the judge Mm -hmm. or the doctor you know they did this wasn't a thing and regular normal people used to solve these things Mm -hmm. and and help solve these things so um it's kind of exciting to think that you can be involved like especially being someone that's like super into true crime like i can't wait to read your book and like figure out like how can Mm -hmm regular yeah. people be involved you really can yeah you know? and it's it's just a matter of you know the the, the police officers that i talk to that get it mm-hmm. and the detectives that get it they're usually typically they a little bit on the younger side because they understand social media mm-hmm. and it's like when they they're going to start utilizing these these things as they get higher up as they become the chief of detectives as they become the chief of police and they might say hey you know what we should start a civilian liaison group hey you know what we've got all of these um these police reports for these unsolved homicides in a basement that need to be digitized let's hire a bunch of people Mm -hmm. that would be willing to do it for free to go and type all of these up so that they're searchable Mm -hmm. that sort of thing and um you know getting away from the idea that you're only your your police department is only as good as your your last year's stats, which unfortunately is so often how it is. Um, you know, it comes and so that's why thing. they just sort of like close cases, even if they're not totally sure on it. They're just like, yeah, that's the guy that did it. Well, because they need to like say that they solved something. Not necessarily that they solved something, but just like they're, it's gonna they're gonna move on to the next case. And I totally yeah. understand why. There's just too many cases. Yeah. I mean, if there's five, if there's fifteen thousand murders every year, five thousand go unsolved. Huh. Those are adding up. So you got two hundred twenty thousand murders. Those since are not good numbers. A no. third of them go unsolved. Yeah. Wait. A third. Th- th- right. Yeah. A third. A third. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, those numbers are, are adding up and adding up and adding up, but it's not like we're getting 5,000 new detectives every year. No, it's just not happening. So, so. they're just building and building yeah, and building. Yeah, it's just building up. That's crazy. Okay, last question. Uh, I guess stealing the concept of my favorite murder, what is your favorite crime case, murder? Like, what do you find the most fascinating? <sighs> I find I find Zodiac fascinating in the sense where He's very much right out of the Batman villain rogues gallery mm-hmm. in a sense where he's like, I'm giving myself a name. I'm giving myself a logo. Mm-hmm. I want people to wear the logo on the buttons. I'm giving myself an actual mask and outfit that mm-hmm. he wore with the logo on that. That's straight out of Batman. It's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm also going to send cryptic notes to the cops. That's mm-hmm. Riddler shit right there. Yeah. Um, I find that, you know, but then I think, you know, um, there's so many other cases that I'd like to work on, but that's the one that I find just most intriguing. And, and I think in American history, 
that's the one that's the biggest unsolved serial killings right there you've mm -hmm. got the the axe man in new orleans you've got the torso killers um you've got all of these ones that are happening right now but the zodiac is the one that people would pin on and obviously jack the ripper over mm -hmm. there and also you know just being in los angeles black dahlia yeah, yeah. god do you think it's george hodel i don't know I, I, d I don't know. I, I don't think we'll ever know, unfortunately. That I, podcast, whatever, I forgot the name of it. Yeah. What's it called again? In the d Something in the Dark? I don't remember. Did you listen to it? I did not listen to it, no. But I know I've, I've spoken to Hodel before, though. That f his son. It's more so even just that that family's horrifying. Yeah, no. I, I mean, it's like... No, there's something going on with that horrifying. family. But whether that, that was the case, we don't know. But the idea Damn that... Damn it, I'd like to think it's him. Yeah, it's the whole... You know, that's the case of, of, of a, a pretty young woman who comes from the East Coast to the West Coast mm -hmm. to, you know, potentially be a star. It wasn't like she was really, you know, going for it, but she mm -hmm. was just here and she was, you know, kind of doing her thing. It was in 1947, so we had just defeated the biggest super evil power that the world has ever seen, at least in modern times. Mm -hmm. And all of these servicemen are back, but they're all have gone through a, a horrendous ordeal. Mm -hmm. And you have all this mixture of stuff going on and there's new drugs going on. And, you know, it was just a very, very strange time mm -hmm. that this woman found herself in. And um, she just encountered the wrong guy. And then the guy was somebody that that massacred her in a way that America hadn't. I'm sure it had been happened before in a certain respect, mm -hmm. but just being bisected as well as, you know, the, the the fake smile on her face mm -hmm. and everything was just too I found much. it very interesting and and that's why and pretty telling that it could be George Hodel is that he he hung around a bunch of surrealist painters mm -hmm. and he also wanted to be an artist and it was like almost like he was like okay you guys are successful at this but I'm going to take it to a whole nother level and do it to a human yeah uh, well, it's almost like, yeah. I mean, it's like the, the like I'm gonna one up you. Like, like that's the, how sick the person yeah, is. Yeah, which is which is like what the Joker wanted to do mm -hmm. in the Michael Keaton Batman movie. Yeah. That's what Jack Nicholson did. He was just like he was like a painter. Yeah. And then he was like, no, I'm gonna be the first you know homicidal artist. Yeah. And that's what he did. And that was sort of like what that they what they based it on. It's you know, insane. Tim Tim Burton knows his history. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it's it's it, but you wonder then why was there not another one? You know, you don't just do one. You know, where is where is the next one? That's How come true. you didn't you 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 know as an artist you're always one upping yourself. Mm -hmm. Where was that one up done? That's true. You know? I could talk to you for forever, and I have one more question now that I just thought of. Since you encounter these things so often, and I well, my listeners are largely female, and they're usually the victims of these things, uh, or a lot of the time. Since what would be some good like safety advice or how to avoid things like yeah. this? And you can never like victim no, you blame, never wanna, like, and, but yeah. like, I mean, there's got to be some tips you've picked up along the way. Oh, de I mean, there's, there's, just watch. You know, I think the biggest tip that I could have is, and the, some of the things that we've been seeing are people that are preying on women as they're leaving bars, mm -hmm. and the whole idea of not, you know. It's called Save the Next Girl. There's there's a, a, a community that is a, a campaign that has been started by a woman whose friends had left her. And they, they, listen, it's not like the friends leave mm -hmm. um, out of malice or yeah. anything. It's just like the the woman or the college student is saying like, no, I met this guy. He's really cool. No, no, no. Yeah. You guys, you guys, you go. 
there's another day. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just get the number. Everybody go back. Do a head count of who you're with. Do a head count on your way back. Mm-hmm. Um, that I share think your is, location on your phone with your friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is. Uh, but even still, I mean, that could be. You could share your too location, late. but that could be too late. Yeah. You, you would save the next girl, but you wouldn't save yourself. Yeah. And I say girl because that's the way that, what the thing is. Obviously, it's women. Yeah. But I think that. Uh, that is a that's a big takeaway because we, we see so many of those stories. We saw it. Uh, there was a serial killer in um, at Uni- University of Virginia who mm-hmm. was preying on women who were stumbling out of bars mm-hmm. uh, alone or, and, you know, picking them up. And mm-hmm. he was using his taxi cab for that. But you're seeing that now and you're seeing that with the Ubers and yeah. everything. So we are trusting. It's it's strange because we're trusting um, strangers more than we ever have before. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be don't talk to strangers. Now it's actually get in a car message a stranger, a stranger and yeah. then tell them where you are and then get in their car. Yeah. And Let them know where you live. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're really hoping that that's okay. And believe me, I, I, I'm a big fan of Uber and Lyft and yeah. I love that, uh, that how convenient it is. But it is, there are certain things there that if, if you get a guy that is, that is going to be, or a woman that is going to be obsessed with you or something, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe have them pick you up across the street from where you are. Don't give them your address that that kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, I also think yeah. too, just being distracted on your phone all the time. Yes. Like you just watch people like, and it could not even be like that someone's going to attack you. It's like, you're going to get hit by a car too. You just, people just walk across crosswalks mm-hmm. with their face in the phone or yeah. like, don't no, be on your phone no, there, always. Yeah, yeah, no. And when it comes to to that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, let's remember that you're you're more apt to be killed by things like accidents mm-hmm. as a young person than by a murderer. So, uh, beware of your surroundings. Not necessarily for somebody that's going to come up and kill you, but mm-hmm. like you said, uh, especially when driving too. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't drink and drive. Always wear your seatbelt. Which yeah. people, you know. Yeah, my dad made me pro- made me promise those things. You mm-hmm. know, um, don't do hard drugs, which is another good one. Because yeah. listen, we we lose seventy thousand people every year to um, overdoses. We lose four, we lose forty four forty five thousand people to suicides. We lose fifteen thousand to murder. So there is a, a lot more that's going on, and then heart disease is like way above everything else. Mm-hmm. So take your fish oil. Yeah, <laughs> that's what, every time. Every time if I there's talk to anything a, you can learn in this no, podcast. Yes, exactly. Take your fit. No, every time I talk to a doctor, I was just like, what do you take for vitamins? And they all say they, they just do fish oil. Oh, interesting. So I was like, you know what? If they say that, I'm just, I'm I'm, just I'm taking the fish oil. All right. So, there you go. Well, thank you for doing this. Tell them where they can find you and where they can get your <laughs> okay, book. And everything. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at uh, um, at Billy Jensen. B-I-L-L-Y-J-E-N-S-E-N. And I'm on Twitter. Same thing. You can find me on Facebook. And I'm on two podcasts. I'm on the Murder Squad, which is with Paul Holes, the guy that solved the Golden State Killer case, and that's active investigations. And we try to get you to help solve us. And I'm also on one called The First Degree, with Jack Vanek from the Lady Gang and Alexis Linkletter. And we, um, if anybody out there has are, are connected by one degree to a crime, mm-hmm. either from the victim or the perpetrator, uh, we tell their story, mm-hmm. and uh, you can reach out to us and. We tell it, tell the story in a compelling way and also from that perspective, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Which so. is, yeah, I can't wait to listen to that. It sounds so interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Hi.